Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. How can manufactured housing help solve the nation's housing affordability crisis? Joining me on the show today to discuss this topic and more is Daniel Landy, president of the UMHOZ Fund and executive vice president of UMH Properties. And Daniel joins us today from Freehold, New Jersey. Daniel, great to meet you. Uh, Happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I've I've been a fan of uh, your podcast, so it's great to be here. All right. Thank you. Well, let's dive in. Daniel, I'm guessing that uh, a lot of our audience of high net worth investors and advisors already have some familiarity with UMH properties, considering that you are one of the oldest REITs in existence. But for any who may not be familiar, can you give us a brief introduction to UMH properties? What do you do exactly? And what is your role there? Absolutely. Yeah. UMH Properties um, we were founded in 1968, so are one of the oldest REITs. Um, we are a publicly traded REIT focused on manufactured housing communities. Um, so these are residential areas um, that are zoned to allow HUD code homes, which are homes built in a factory, highly efficient, um, highly affordable, and they're also um, they they have environmental benefits because of the less waste of building in factories. So. We have land um, where we put these manufactured homes on. Um, we sell these homes, we rent these homes. A, a big part of our model versus others have been putting these homes for rent, which um, has really helped us fill occupancy fast and we believe um, is a good model. So yeah, we were founded in 1968 by my grandfather, Eugene Landy, who um, he was a forefather in the REIT world. He founded two uh, publicly traded REITs um, UMH and Mammoth REIT, which was an industrial warehouse REIT. Um, FedEx had 9% of their warehouses that uh, Mammoth REIT used to manage and lease to them. Um, so yeah, he's he's uh, he's been in the REIT world for a while. He's he's been really good at picking, you know, the different real estate sectors to invest in. Industrial and manufactured housing have been great performing sectors. So. Um, yeah, UMH properties, they have 25,000 uh, home sites across 12 different states. We have 9,000 rentals that we own and manage, and we're, uh, we have an occupancy of 85%. So that's UMH properties. Um, I'm Daniel Landy. I am, the, as you said, the president of the UMH Opportunity Zone Fund and executive vice president of UMH. So um, I've been really helping, you know, shepherd this Opportunity Zone Fund uh, that we just closed on, which you know we'll talk about more on this podcast, and I'm excited about. Um, but yeah, UMH, we're we're one of the biggest operators of manufactured housing communities, which we think is the real way to solve the affordable housing crisis. Yeah, that's that's great. I do want to dive into your Opportunity Zone Fund that is now closed and talk about your Opportunity Zone strategy and all things Opportunity Zones with you, Daniel, in a few minutes. But uh, first, to just to zoom out and get that that broader picture, the broader concept that you guys are trying to tackle is the affordability crisis in this nation in terms of 
housing or lack thereof. Uh, we've covered this on and off uh, on this podcast over the last few years, but it, I think it's been a while since we've uh, we really zo- zeroed in on this. So Daniel, maybe before we talk about the solution to the problem, can you characterize the problem? What is the nation's housing affordability crisis exactly and how do you view it? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people in the U.S. are definitely familiar with that we have an affordable housing crisis. Um, the, the supply of affordable homes is very low. Uh, the shortage keeps getting bigger. Uh, Fannie Mae has around a uh, housing shortage of 4 million homes. Freddie Mac um, says in, in the 1970s, there used to be 400,000 entry homes built a year. In the 2010s, it, it got down to less than 100,000. And just recently in 2020, um, it was around you know 65,000. So entry-level home building has been lacking for quite a while. Um, most developers are not building affordable housing. So you know, and sorry, country- sorry to interrupt. That's that's incredible. First of all, just the the actual number volume decrease from four hundred thousand down to what'd you say sixty five thousand? But then what further compounds that is the the growth in population in this country too, right? The population has uh, doubled or tripled in size over that time period. So it's even, I mean, it, that even paints a, a starker picture than than just a, a drop from 400 to, to 65. It's probably the, the problems compounded two or threefold beyond that, I would imagine. Absolutely, yeah, no. Um, the population's kept growing. Um, and affordability has been shrinking. So the the crisis just keeps getting, you know, worse, unfortunately. Um, But hopefully, you know, with programs like Opportunity Zone funds um, and with manufactured housing, we can do more to address this uh, issue. But, you know, UMH itself, we've been, we usually add 800 rental homes a year. So uh, these rental homes, um, they're typically three bed, two bath, 1,000 to 1,500 square feet. And we rent them uh, from $950 to 1,300 a month. So it's incredibly affordable for all of that space. Um, and and we're, we, we wanna do as much as possible to increase that affordable housing supply. Um, so we're, you know, we're always looking for partnerships and interesting ways to add uh, that housing supply. So yeah, manufactured housing, we think, you know, is is a really great solution and tool to solving the, the affordable housing crisis because manufactured house homes to build, um, they're, they cost half as much as a traditional site-built home. Uh, the Manufactured Housing Institute has it that the average manufactured home costs around $72 per square foot to build, whereas a site-built home is $144. And that, that's not including the land. Um, McKinsey also says that construction of these manufactured homes is 50% faster than a site built home. So, you know, we think manufactured homes, they're more affordable and much faster. Um, so to solve that, that big shortage of affordable housing, we think there needs to be an increase of supply of home sites and UMH itself and others in the industry can definitely, um, you know, make more homes, put more homes on these sites and help the U.S. 
uh, increase its supply of affordable housing. Yeah, that's great. Uh, tell me more about manufactured housing. Uh, maybe we can take a look into, or about, not not an, an actual look, but a virtual look into or a description of wh- how you actually do manufacture these housing units. Um, how big are they? Where do they get placed? Where are the manufacturing facilities? What types of materials do you use? Tell me everything you can about um, what what's common in the industry and, and what you do at, at UMH in particular. Yeah, so um, UMH in particular, we we buy um, communities that are zoned, uh, yeah, communities that are zoned MH with high vacancies. Um, so there's a lot of home sites with no homes on them. Uh, we partner with really big um, manufactured home builders. Uh, it's typically typically called the three big C's: Clayton, Champion, and Cavco. Um, they're uh, Two of them are publicly traded companies, and Clayton is owned by Warren Buffett. Um, so he himself is very excited about the space. Um, but yeah, we part we partner with them. They they have factories all over the country. We generally buy uh, from the factory closest to our community. Um, but yeah, the uh, the the manufacturers uh, right now, you know, they, they, during COVID they had a, a big backlog, but. Uh, now the backlog is starting to shrink, and um, they're particularly seeing demand from these manufactured home community owners such as us. So, you know, we, we think there's a lot uh, more they can do and, and that we can do um, through, you know, increasing the number of sites. We do expansions at our communities. We look for land that's zoned MH to completely develop new communities. Um, so th- those are the things that, that can be done. And, and that's how we, we generally work, um, with these factories. So basically when we acquire stuff, we're looking at, you know, the, the potential vacant sites, we're working with big manufacturers, um, the nearby factories, buying those homes, uh, delivering to delivering them to the site and other, other operators prefer selling the homes, um, which, you know, we, we like to sell homes too, but we prefer filling occupancy uh, faster and we like responding to what, you know, where the demand is. And we see a lot more demand for rental housing. We've been happy to um, put in more rental homes. Like I said, we do 800 rental homes a year. We usually sell 100 homes a year. Um, so we fill a lot more of, you know, we, we solve a lot more of the affordable housing crisis with rental homes in particular. Um, so that's something UMH does unique. Good. Well, I, I want to talk more about that strategy. What else makes you unique uh, a little bit later in the conversation, uh, but, but, but back to the affordability crisis and, and you've got a solution in terms of uh, manufactured housing. Is that, is that going far enough though, or is part of the problem policy-based? And I know we've got some policy-based solutions such as OZs, that mm-hmm. that are helping certainly, but are there other policies that are are kind of pulling pulling back on the efforts or or hindering those efforts? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, um, I I think I think a lot of the battles are definitely local. Um, a lot of not not in my backyard, um, and a lot of land. There there should be more land that's probably zoned for um, MH. Uh, you know we. UMH itself has also we we've had property that we've 
we've bought before that is zoned MH and we've had difficulty sometimes with the town. So I think a lot of it is um, addressing these, you know, local governments and marketing, how high quality uh, these communities can be. We, we've done a lot of drone videos. Uh, we, we have a lot on our, our YouTube channel, UMH Properties, showing these very high quality new manufactured home communities. Sometimes, um, you know, the image is of rundown trailer parks and that that's not the case with what the modern manufactured home is, the manufactured home community. And when we show people, you know, these drone videos, they, they see that, they believe that. And even when we've gone into towns, you know, and first had opposition, a lot of times people are so much happier with us uh, being the new owner of, you know, the community, putting in these new homes, really improving the area and having housing for uh, a lot of the people that a community needs. Um, you know, we, we actually have a, a community that we own um, that's in, in an opportunity zone that that wasn't in the opportunity zone fund. Um, you know, I think we acquired it in 2020. We've added rental homes and now it's uh, being occupied by a lot of um, military people from the the army base there. Same with another community we have in an opportunity zone in in uh, Sebring, Florida. Uh, the hospital desperately needed housing for its nurses, and we are really occupying the community heavily with uh, nurses and other medical staff. So, um, you know, we 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 think that these local uh, governments should really see the the huge benefit that high quality manufactured housing can have for their communities um, and they should really be welcoming uh, and and doing initiatives like opportunity zones um, to increase investment especially in affordable housing oh, i i agree with you 100% a lot of it is just about changing your those those preconceived notions of what affordable housing is what it looks like, what manufactured housing is and looks like. Uh, but it sounds like you guys over there at UMH are doing a pretty good job educating the uh, the these local governments and local leaders uh, in these different localities and and challenging why why they may oppose such projects. I think that's great. Um, so yeah, a little bit of opposition oftentimes from NIMBYs or from from local governments, uh, you know, that's that's a policy hindrance, I suppose, or over regulatory hindrance. But um, along comes this new federal policy opportunity zones that helps unlock some of the the, the capital that can drive investments in some of these uh, underinvested locations. So let's talk OZs now for a few minutes, if we can, Daniel. Uh, for, first of all, when, when did you at UMH learn about opportunity zones and then what drew you to opportunity zones why did you ultimately decide to set up an opportunity zone fund through umh properties yeah um it's it's hard to give a first date of what i heard about <laughs> opportunity zones to be honest um but i remember hearing about it you know right right a maybe maybe a couple months or a year after the you know the whole the whole thing came out and reading about it um and thinking that UMH might be able to do something here, we were, we were exploring and 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 thinking about it, but it, it didn't really materialize to do something um, until you know I was talking about my grandfather Eugene Landy. He founded Mammoth Reef, 
um, they were sold in uh, February of uh, 2022. Uh, it was a $4 billion acquisition from ILPT, um, where UMH, we actually owned um, some of Mammoth Re, and we have, we have a securities portfolio. So we were going to realize a capital gain. Um, we realized we could defer that gain for our shareholders. Um, so that, that seemed like a potential benefit there. And then, you know, at the same time that that, that happened, uh, like I said, we're, we're looking to do as much for the affordable housing crisis. We're, we're looking to add as much affordable housing supply as possible. But as a public company, there's only so much we can do in a year because it's very capital intensive, can hurt our earnings. Um, so we've explored more with partnerships. We have a partnership with Nuveen. Um, they're, they're helping us build new communities in Florida right now, but they, they may help us build other new communities. Um, so we were looking for these long-term patient capital partners and opportunity zone funds by their nature seem perfect for that. Um, you know, the 10 year is the big benefit. So, uh, that seemed ideal. Also, when we looked at our portfolio, we saw we, we did have some communities where we did this value add approach. Uh, we did the substantial improvements, um, that were in opportunity zones. And, you know, unfortunately those won't see those benefits, but, um, we see communities in opportunity zones and we can definitely, we realized we could probably do more if we, you know, participated in opportunity zone funds. So um, with the Mammoth sale, with looking for more long-term patient capitals, we thought it would be a great strategy to uh, launch an opportunity zone fund. Um, and also we were seeing, you know, different properties for sale and opportunity zone. So we, we felt confident we could launch a fund um so yeah just just to uh you know go through the different benefits i was talking about the mammoth gain we wanted to defer that um we wanted long-term patient capital we wanted to have a way where these deals are more creative up front for uma shareholders with management fees you know we're receiving more income um and umh in these funds too, uh, what's nice is UMH is the likely buyer at the end of 10 years. We have the right of first offer. Um, we'll, we'll offer a price that multiple appraisers will say is fair value of the community um, at the end of 10 years. So it, it's nice you know, for the OZ investor, they have a very likely buyer at the end of 10 years. Um, so you know, we thought that was a good structure as well. And we we love um, trying to work with uh, government officials who are creating these these types of policies. Um, so you know we always want to use uh, whatever the new policy is from government to try to increase investment in underinvested areas and increase affordable housing. Um, you know another another thing that we've done last year there was a home show in Washington D.C. Um, and, and, you know, the Biden administration re really announced that manufactured housing is a really important, um, solution to the affordable housing crisis. So we, we got to showcase our homes there. We got to meet government officials and, and we love, you know, 
helping them brag about the things they do to increase affordable housing. So it, it, it was a great tool to also uh, work with government. Um, so th those are really the reasons uh, we got we got interested in launching an Opportunity Zone Fund, and we thought it was a big win for UMH shareholders. Um, we think it's a win, you know, for our existing o OZ investors because you know they feel confident they have a likely buyer at the end of ten years. It's a uh, it's a very safe investment. Affordable housing is more recession proof than uh, you know other forms of housing or, or rental housing. Um, and they have a, a really great experience management team since, you know, 1968, they get to leverage all of UMH's expertise in the field. Um, so yeah, we, we felt it was a really good solution for us. Um, and we're, you know, we're happy we, we launched, uh, you know, this first fund now it's closed, um, but we're happy to brag about that fund and, you know, talk about what we've done there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it sounds like the Opportunity Zone program uh, was almost tailor made for you guys in in some ways. It all it all worked out uh, fairly well for your investors and for your mission of of uh, tackling the nation's housing affordability crisis uh, with 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 your manufactured housing units. So so I I understand you're somewhat restricted about talking about any open funds or or plans for new funds, uh, but you can talk about that first fund you were just alluding to that first. UMH OZ fund, which is now closed. So what can you tell us about that fund in particular? What makes it unique? Uh, how, how much equity did you raise? Uh, where are the properties located? Uh, tell us everything you can about it, if you can unpack that for us. Yeah. Um, so what's there's, there, there's a bunch that's unique about our fund. First off, I don't think there's a lot of OZ funds that are manufactured home communities. So that in itself, I think is is unique and interesting. Um, like I already said, you have you have a a management team that's a public company from you know 1968, very established team. Um, what's unique is I think yeah I I haven't seen a lot of OZ funds necessarily have a likely buyer at the end of 10 years, so that's um, interesting. And then. We're particularly focused on the Southeast. UMH has wanted to expand more in the Southeast. We think there's a, a big demographic movement there. Um, we think a lot of the manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, a lot of manufacturing is coming back to the U.S. A lot of um, you know announced plans have been in the Southeast uh, for you know new EV battery plants or EV car factories or other types of factories. Um, so we, we, we think it's a very exciting area. Um, the, the, the fund has two uh, manufactured home communities. One is a value-add community, and that's usually what UMH does, which is acquire communities with high vacancy. This community is in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and uh, we find it very exciting from all the employers who announced expansions there, which I'll, I'll get into. But that one has 181 home sites. Um, it was less than 40% occupied. Um, so, you know, most of the substantial improvement we'll be doing is adding more than 100 rental homes there. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do some capital improvements that are necessary, such as, you know, repaving the roads, um, adding amenities like a playground. Um, so we'll be doing that, but most of the substantial improvement comes from adding the rental homes. Um, 
we get to leverage, you know, we have existing staff in that area um, in one of our communities that is only an hour away um, in Sumter, South Carolina, Iris Winds, which is um, is a community also in an opportunity zone, um, but sadly before the fund. And we've done very well there. We're pretty much fully occupied there. Uh, we've seen great demand. So in Orangeburg, we feel we can do the same thing. We're going to leverage our existing staff. And just to talk about the, the, the amount of new employers in that area. So I should also say Orangeburg, South Carolina, it's in between um, Charleston, South Carolina, and Columbia. So, you know, right smack in the middle of there. Um, it's, you know, it, it's a really good transportation hub. And they've, you know, in Orangeburg, there's been announcements of more than $200 million in new investment in that area um, and more than 700 new jobs. So we think it's a really exciting area. The, the community we acquired, um, you know, the past owner just didn't have the capital to add these homes, make the necessary improvements. So we will be doing that. You know, our staff is very excited. Uh, they're already seeing a lot of demand, a lot of people walking in uh, to the community wanting uh, to rent our new homes. So it's really exciting um, there. And, you know, we, we, we bought that property for around $5 million. Um, so it's like 28,000 a site. Some of our, you know, are, are very, uh, we've seen other communities when they're more highly occupied that we acquire can go, you know, from 60 to 80,000 a site. Obviously it depends the market, but that's the kind of potential when this thing is fully occupied and much higher quality. Um, and then the second community is a complete uh, new development and that's in Albany, Georgia. Um, we're going to call that community Mighty Oak. It it's 118 sites. Um, we found, you know, we found this property. It's very rare to find land zoned MH um, and also have a developer in place uh, to build it. So we were really excited about that. Um, so it's going to be a brand new community. We, we bought those 118 sites um, for around 4 million. It, it's around 31,000 a site. And Albany, it, it, it's, uh, it, it definitely doesn't have the, the best, you know, current demographics in terms of population growth and everything. But where our property is located um, is so well in, in the city. It's right uh, next to Highway 133, which already has major employers there uh, surrounding us. Procter & Gamble, the Marine Corps logistic bit. Marine Corps logistics space, uh, Pfizer, and even more. Um, but that highway 133 that we're on is going to be expanded into a four lane highway coming in 2023. So, you know, we think the area is going to see uh, much more growth. The area desperately, you can drive around there, needs new quality, affordable housing supply. Um, you know, that new community price that I said, we bought it for 31,000 a site. It's incredibly difficult anywhere to develop a community for 31,000 a site. Um, typically, we can see it go anywhere from you know 80 to 100,000 a site as usual. So it's a really good starting price 
uh, for a completely new community. Um, so there will just be, you know, we're, we're going to be building an office, adding the rental homes, build, uh, adding an amenity. And, um, you know, that will be our substantial improvement there. So both areas uh, we're, we're, we're really excited about. No, that's great. So uh, clearly you like the the Southeast, right? You like Georgia and, and South Carolina for those two properties in particular. A- any other markets in the, the Southeast you like or, or maybe maybe characteristics of other markets you like in the Southeast or, or, or beyond anywhere else in the nation? Where, where else are you guys looking exactly? Um, UMH itself, uh, we're, we're, I will say we're still, we're more excited about the Southeast. Um, but we're we're also always looking at acquisitions uh, that come up. Um, you know, at manufactured housing communities, it's so rare to find land that's zoned like that that it's not necessarily that we can you know that we're strictly we're going to be this market. It's it's sometimes you know what deal comes up. Um, I I think that we're we're pretty much uh, happy with anywhere besides California, I'll say we, we just, um, we, we, uh, the, the operating environment legally there is, is a little difficult, but, um, yeah, we're, we're very excited about the, the Southeast. Um, we've, we've done more stuff in Florida lately. We're very excited about Florida. Um, traditionally we're big in the Midwest, um, in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, and, similar thing to what we were saying about the south how um you know more uh more factories more manufacturing is going to be in the south there's there's been more in the uh midwest as well my my uh you know we we're we're very much in the marcellus and utica shale region there so as energy prices have gone up that's that's been good for us um but uh yeah no the southeast is is very exciting we're big in tennessee uh, big in Nashville and Memphis. Memphis, we have the first all rental community, Memphis Blues. I, I encourage people to check out um, our drone videos of Memphis Blues because it's it's very high quality housing. You can't tell it's just a rental housing uh, community, and that's that's what we plan on doing with um, you know the OZ fund communities. We're just going to be adding rental homes. So uh, Mighty Oak is going to be an all rental community, and you can get pretty much an exact feel of what we're going to do by looking at Memphis blues. So yeah, we're yeah, excited about the Southeast. We're, we're, we're excited about other opportunities if they might make, make sense, but we're definitely looking heavier in the Southeast, I would say. Yeah. And that, that makes perfect sense. It's, it's great demographic trends or, or tailwinds uh, in the Southeast in particular, for sure. Uh, let's change subjects here briefly for, a moment, get back to Opportunity Zone policy and reform legislation. Uh, so I, 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 I know for my listeners and viewers out there, I've covered reform legislation uh, quite a bit over the last, I guess, eight or nine months or so since legislation was first introduced last April. Uh, but Daniel, what do you think about OZ reform overall and improvements? And and you've got a way to improve it that goes beyond the reform legislation that was introduced last April uh, that would possibly bring in additional capital. You're not the first to talk about it, but but uh, not the first to have this idea. But 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 tell tell us a little more about how you think it can be improved from a from a capital raising standpoint. 
Yeah. Um, UMH, you know, we, we think there's so much more that can be done in affordable housing. Um, and we think that the OZ funds, the OZ fund law of nature, it, it was a, it was a brilliant move by, um, you know, Senator Scott and, uh, Booker, um, I think, you know, we've seen in these areas that we're investing in a lot more investment, as I said, and I think that's partially because of of things like this. Um, but sadly, you know, I think it's it's a little limited in impact um, by requiring that 10 year benefit to only be from capital gains money. Um, and, and specifically, you only have 180 days too. Um, as we've seen, as we've seen in the last year, I think that um, there were much less capital gains with a lot of asset values going down, um, which is unfortunate for these areas that that need affordable housing and investment. Um, we think, you know, that that OZ that OZ fund ten year benefit um, should be opened up to all pools of capital when it's when it's strictly our our proposed amendment is if it's strictly manufactured housing communities because that that makes it easier because it manufactured housing by its nature is affordable housing if it gets to the heart of the issue which is um that this capital should just be used for affordable housing um and then that can be, get the 10-year benefit we think there would be much more capital provided to building affordable housing um, and it would really help solve the nation's affordable housing crisis. And it would open it up to a lot more investors. I, I think a lot of the big complaints have been that, you know, OZ funds are just for very wealthy people where this 10 year benefit um, with any capital source, uh, it, it wouldn't be just restricted to the wealthy. And if you're requiring it be about affordable housing or manufactured housing, uh, you're ensuring that the uses are for quality, affordable housing. And, and for these areas that want more employers, that's one of the big issues with when these employers come to these areas is how are we going to house our employees? So we, we think it's, uh, you know, affordable housing in opportunity zone areas really spur extra investment and, and make the community better and more valuable. And we really think the government should open it up to all sources of capital. Absolutely. I would love to see that. I know uh, Shay Hawkins and I talked about this on an episode that we did last spring. That's That was also one of his ideas for making going beyond the reform legislation that's kind of bouncing around right now. I think it's probably about to be reintroduced into this session of Congress, um, hopefully within the next few weeks here, or possibly by the time this episode airs, uh, it, it'll be on its way to being reintroduced. But this goes beyond that uh, in terms of, hey, let's, why not have all forms of capital be eligible for that 10-year benefit? If it's not a capital gain, it can't uh, be eligible for the the deferral or the potential reduction in basis, but why not have it eligible for that 10-year benefit of of the exclusion of capital gains on on the back end of a an opportunity zone uh, investment, I think that seems like a no brainer to me at least to to allow that for for all the reasons you listed. It opened it up for more investors, more equity would flow into these deals, more affordable housing would get would get accomplished um, in the long run, and that would certainly adhere to the spirit of the law to 
improve the economies in, in many of our nation's uh, downtrodden, overlooked communities, Daniel. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think that would be a, a really easy one. It's pro- probably one of the questions I get most often is, hey, can I do non-capital gains investment and get the tax benefits? And unfortunately, at this point in time, uh, no, is the is the answer to that one. But hopefully that gets changed at, at some point um, down the road here. Uh, well, th- Daniel, I know we're, we're kind of running short on time here. I wanted to just ask you a, a couple more questions before I cut you loose. And I guess to, I wanted to zoom out um, even, even beyond opportunity zones, beyond uh, manufactured housing industry, but but talk about uh, real estate industry in general, the private equity real estate landscape. UMH clearly a leader in the manufactured homes industry. You, you, you guys have a lot of insights into into what is going on in the broader private equity real estate market. Um, but that said, what do you see as as some of the most powerful trends that that you think may play out over the next? 12 or 18 months or, or maybe years beyond that. Any any predictions across the, the private equity real estate landscape? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the the most interesting trend right now, I think a lot of people have seen the headlines that, you know, certain funds have been, had, you know, certain private real estate funds have had more people um, trying to get money out of the funds than than coming in. Um, and that's limited, you know, the amount um, that they are distributing. So I think what that will mean, um, I mean, it, it, it'll be definitely very interesting. But I think what it will mean is that a lot more deals are um, going to be present in 2023. A lot more people trying to uh, liquidate uh, certain properties, which is really exciting for, you know, people who who have capital or, or can raise capital uh, to opportunistically acquire some of these assets. So um, I think it's a really interesting time, uh, you know, given that, that piece of news, um, you know, higher interest rates. Uh, so I think you'll see a lot more uh, potentially attractive deals coming in the future. Uh, are you are you hinting at the possibility that UMH could be a big buyer if if opportunities come your way here in 2023? Um, you know, it, it's 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 certainly a potential. We're definitely in the position to be looking at these deals. Um, it, it's a question. I think right now, like I said, I, I think it's going to be set up for that. But right now, I think the deals we're seeing haven't necessarily come down in price. Yet I'm just saying that I think that that it's an interesting trend that could happen. Um, so I, I think UMH is well positioned for it, um, and that will be exciting. But I can't say that it's definitely happening right now. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was asking you to look into your crystal ball there, so it's uh, always <laughs> challenging. I, 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 to predict I, I, I the think it could, I think it could happen. Yes, yes. I, get, I think I, get um, I think you know mid to end of 2023 might be you know very exciting. Yeah, it could be a good buying opportunity for for a lot with, who who are in the position to to capitalize on it. Uh, I, I kind of share your your thoughts there. Something's going to reprice the market here, and there's going to be some some sellers, and I think we'll we'll see some improved uh, or increased, I should say, transaction volume at at some point this year. I think there's some pent up uh, some some pent up uh, pressure in the in the marketplace for sure. Well, hey, Daniel. Really want to thank you for for joining us today and sharing your insights on manufactured homes and 
and uh, the real estate industry and opportunity zones. Uh, before I let you go, where can our audience of high net worth investors and advisors go to learn more about you and UMH properties? Um, absolutely. Yeah, you can always contact me, uh, dlandy at umh.com. And um, you can always go to umh.reit to see our investor page. Um, you can go on UMH Properties YouTube channel to really see the drone videos, our stories of what UMH has done in, in certain areas. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to have anyone reach out with questions. So, um, Jimmy, I really appreciate you for having me on and it, it was a pleasure. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Daniel. And uh, final reminder for our listeners and viewers out there, as always, we will have show notes available for today's episode at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there we will have links to all of the resources that Daniel and I discussed on today's show. And I'll make sure we, we link to uh, Daniel's email address and the UMH YouTube channel this time as well. And Please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes. Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 